Heavenly Father, we do thank you and we praise you, Lord. And I just thank you for all the moms here and the, and the women here who are going to be moms in the future, Lord. And just thank you for them and just thank you for the, the calling you've placed upon their life. And may they never underestimate what a, what a high calling it really is to be a mom. Lord, we just pray for our time in the Word this morning that you'd be glorified and that, that Father God, through it, Lord, we would understand the omnipotence, the all-powerfulness of our God that we can trust you no matter what's going on in life, that you're faithful and nothing is too great for you. So Lord, we love you, we praise you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, Amen. Well, one other quick announcement that got overlooked. Any of you guys who are interested in playing summer softball, the league starts, uh, I think, in June, but we need sign-ups by May 22nd. So if you're interested in playing, see Rick Siegel after, afterward. That's Rick right there in the red shirt. Okay. All right, let me start off. I just want to take a couple minutes. I want to talk about mothers for just a moment before we look at the text. And you know what? A godly mother and wife is a high calling. It's, I believe it's as high a calling as there is in the entire Bible. I can't even begin to express how blessed I am to have grown up in a Christian home with a godly mom. A mom who loved me, a mom who taught me through both her words and showed me in her actions what it meant to be a Christian and, and showed me the love of God. And I'm going to repeat some of the verses that Bill just read and then I'm also going to share a few out of Titus. It says again in Proverbs 31, Who can find a virtuous wife? Her, her worth is far above rubies. The heart of her husband safely trusts her. So will he have no lack of gain. She does him good and not evil all the days of her life. And then verse 26 through 30 says, She opens her mouth with wisdom and on her tongue is the law of kindness. She watches over the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. Charm is deceitful and beauty is passing, but a woman who fears the Lord shall be praised. You know, the, word, the world tells us that to be a successful woman, you must have a, you know, a high-powered career, and you've got to have you know, maybe a graduate degree, and you've got to do all these things from the world's perspective, and then you're successful. But you know what? The Bible very clearly says that I know no greater joy than to know my children walk in the truth. And I tell my wife all the time that, you know, most of you know I have a full-time job. And my full-time job, it's a blessing, it's from the Lord. But the money that I make, we spend and it's gone. But the impact that she has in raising my children every single day in the admonition of the Lord is eternal. And you know what, moms, I want to encourage you that what you do with your children is far more important than anything else you will ever do in this life. When you stand before Almighty God one day, He's not going to ask you how much money you made. He's not going to ask you, you know, how, even how nicely the house was kept. It's going to be about our kids. The only thing we're going to take to heaven with us is people. And you know what? I, I, my prayer daily, it brings me to my knees sometimes in my prayer time, just that, Lord, my kids, I so desire that they would know you. And I want to encourage you moms, don't allow what the world tells you is success to rip you off to say what the Bible really says is success. In Titus 2, 4 and 5 it says this, Admonish the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet and chaste, which means pure in thoughts and actions, homemakers, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of the Lord may not be blasphemed. You know what? I know that even for some of the women in this room, that that's difficult for you to hear, to think that, oh, well, wait a minute, you mean my, I, I'm not supposed to go out and have a high-powered career. You know what? If God calls you to do that, do it. But you know what? Don't sacrifice your children on the altar of your career. Don't sacrifice your children on the altar of your own physical desires and pleasures and wants. You know what? Your kids are the most precious gift that God will ever give you outside of salvation. Don't ever miss out on that. I mean, again, 
it's not worth it to me if, if, if God even allowed me as a pastor to see thousands come to the Lord, but one of my own children spent eternity separated from Him, it wouldn't be worth it in my heart. And you know what? Don't trade anything for your children. And you know what? I, and I'm, not do, I'm exhorting you, but I also want to encourage you to say, you know what? What an awesome calling it is. What a blessing it is that God has called you to be a mom. That God has gifted you with these children. They're so precious. And I know sometimes it's hard and they, you get worn out and they're tiring, but just know that the impact you have on their life will endure forever. I want to encourage all you moms not to allow the world standard again to determine your success, but the Word of God's definition of success is having an agape, which is a selfless love for your husband and your children. And know the greatest gift that you can give your kids is to raise them in a godly home. The greatest gift you can give them. More than going out and buying them that bike that they want or giving them, you know, PlayStation 2 or, you know, the, the phone that they want in their room or whatever else that the kids may want. And you, and you may even in your own mind say, well, I need to go work so I can make money so I can give my kids stuff. You know what? Children spell love. T-I-M-E. Amen? The more time I spend with my kids, my kids don't want the stuff my money can buy. My kids want me. My kids want me to be at their Little League game. My kids want me to, to be at their school when they're having the play. My kids want me to sit down at their dinner table and help them with their homework. And you know what? Moms, don't let the world make you think that something else is more important than that because nothing is more important than raising your kids in a godly home. Amen? Here's what I'd like to do. And again, it says, A woman who fears the Lord shall be praised. I just want all the moms to stand real quick and I want to pray for you. If all the moms could stand up. And I want to pray for the moms. Amen? And God bless you. I'm so thankful that you're here. I'm so thankful that God's given you kids. And just want to pray for you right now. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I lift up every mom that's here this morning. And I just pray for them, Lord. I thank you for the fact that they know you. And, and I thank you, Lord, that there are moms that are here at church on a Sunday, on Mother's Day, instead of being out at brunch somewhere. And Father, I just pray, Lord, that in each one of their lives, Father, you would just pour out your Holy Spirit afresh upon each one of them. Lord, that you would encourage and strengthen them, Lord. Give them wisdom to minister to their children. I pray, Lord, when they grow weary and frustrated, Lord, that they would turn to you. And I just thank you for them, Father. Just praise you and worship you, Lord, that, again, you've given these godly moms, these, God, these kids. Lord, we pray for each one of their children, that each one of them would come to know you and love you and serve you and honor you. And they'd be able to look at their mom and see the example of what a godly woman looks like. So, Lord, we love you. We praise you again. Pour out your spirit upon each one of these women. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. God bless you guys. A for the moms. Praise the Lord. All right, well, that being said, let's turn to Luke chapter 8. And we're going to begin in verse 41. We're going to pick up, or actually verse 40. We're going to pick up where we la left off last week. And what we've been looking at is we've been looking at the omnipotence of God. Omnipotence is just a big word that means all powerful. Our God is all-powerful. He's all-powerful over everything. There's nothing too great for our God. Nothing too difficult for our God. And sometimes we feel like we have to go out and make things happen and we don't trust God because we think somehow our problem is too difficult for Him. But nothing is too difficult for God. Last time we saw His power over creation. If you remember, they got into the boat. The Lord, as they were being obedient to Him, they got in the boat. The boat was taking them to the other side of the, the sea or the lake, as you will. And as they were going across, a big storm came up. And we know that these guys were fishermen. And fishermen have spent many time, uh, plenty of time in storms, but yet they were overwhelmed. And they thought they were going to drown. 
And they looked down, and in the middle of the boat, the Lord had promised that He would take them to the other side. In the midst of their obedience, they looked down, and they saw the Lord sleeping. And we know that what happened was that the apostles panicked. And they went to the Lord and said, Lord, we're perishing, we're all going to die. And again, they forgot that the Lord, one, had made a promise that He would take them to the other side. Second of all, the Lord was not panicked, so why should they be? And third of all, we need to remember that the Lord is always in the boat with us when we go through difficulty. Amen? No matter what's going on in life, you're never alone. The enemy always wants you to think you're alone. Oh, you're trying to do this by yourself. But the reality is, is God is always with you. And, and the reason they panicked is they had their eyes on the storm instead of their eyes on their Savior. And the same thing happens to us in life. When we get our eyes on the difficulties, our financial problems, the things that are going on in our life, our health, whatever it might be, we panic. But if we keep our eyes on Jesus, we will never panic. Amen? Because we will know that He's in control and we'll know that He's faithful. We know that the Lord stood up and with basically just said, be still. And the entire sea, the winds and the waves all stopped. And the people said, whoa. Even the apostles said, who is this? What kind of powerful man is He? He gets through the storm and He comes to the other side. So we've seen His power over creation. Then we saw His power over the demonic. And as He got to the other side of the lake, He was greeted by this demoniac, this man who was demon-possessed. And it says there, as we look in the text, that his name was Legion, which meant that there were thousands of demons inside of this man. And what I love about this is that not only is our Lord all-powerful, all but he's all-knowing, he's omniscient, omniscience, he's all-knowing. And he knew that when he went through this storm, that he was going to be greeted by this demon-possessed man. And I love the fact that our God went through a storm to minister to a man who was possessed by the devil. That's awesome to me that our God is willing to do that. But as he gets out of the boat, the demonized man comes to him. We know that the man had been possessed and that because of his possessions, he had lost his home. He lost his fellowship of his family and friends. He lost his decency as he ran around without any clothes on. He lost his self-control. He lived like an animal. He was screaming and cutting himself and he was frightening the citizens. So the, the world got together and said, we've got to get a way to take care of this guy. We've got to find an answer to take care of this guy's problem. So here's what we're going to do. So what they did was that they isolated him. They sent him out where all the dead people were, and they bound him. They chained him up. And then they put him basically under guard to keep him away from the people. They said, here's how we're going to solve our problem. These are the ways we're going to do it. And this, to me, is a picture of what the world does when, the, when people are struggling. The world tries to, to take the, the problem that only salvation can cure, and they try to put a Band-Aid on it. They say, well, you, know, you need 12 steps and then you'll be delivered from your problem. Well, the reality is you can have those 12 steps that may deliver you from drug addiction or alcohol or whatever it may be, but you still need Jesus. Amen? You still need to be born again. You know, we may have other ways. You know, go to the psychologist and the therapist and all these other people who, are, don't, who, first of all, don't have godly counsel and are giving you ungodly counsel, and the result is that you, your, your problem is never solved because the problem is sin. And it can only be solved through the Savior. And so they bound him and they did all these things to this man and he was still nuts. He was still a mess. He was still destructive. But then the Lord showed up and the Lord spoke to him and he cast the demons out with one single word. Here's the key. A million words from man will not solve our problems, but one, for, one word from God will. Amen? And so when you're struggling and going through difficulty and you're running to and fro trying to find the answer and everything that the world has to offer, stop, drop, and look up. Amen? We need to seek after God and say, Lord, I need your help. I need your wisdom. I need your direction. So in the last week, we saw His power over creation, and then we saw His power over the spiritual realm, over the demon-possessed. So this morning, we're going to see His power over sickness and His power over death. 
Now, health is something we all deal with. And when we look today, we're going to see the example of two very different women. And as we look at these two women, we're going to see one woman, who's actually a young girl, who basically is going to die of a sickness. And we're going to see another woman who's been struggling with an illness for 12 years that has basically done the same as what had happened to the demoniac, but in a different way. It had kept her from fellowship. She was ritualistically unclean, and she could not go near the temple. She could not have fellowship. It had destroyed her life. And we're going to see God's hand on both of them. So let's take a look, beginning in verse 40. We're going to take a look at a, a man coming and pleading on behalf of his daughter. Look at verse 40. So it was when Jesus returned that the multitude welcomed him, and they were all waiting for him. Jesus returns. He's coming back to Capernaum. He had just left the crowd. After he freed the demonized man from the demon, what did all the crowd say? They said, get out of here. Why? Because he had cast the demons into the swine, and 2,000 pigs ran off a cliff to their death. And, you know, like I said last week, the first example of deviled ham, right? But they put the, 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 the demons into the swine, the swine ran off the cliff, and they all died. And these pig herders came out and were upset. Instead of saying, wow, look at this man whose life has been totally changed, this man who's now in his right mind, this man who's now a new creation in Christ, instead of being excited by that, they were bummed out that all the pigs ran off a cliff. And I want to tell you right now that while God has given us this earth and the animals, I want to tell you right now that one man is worth more than this entire world. One man is worth more than all the animals on the planet. Why? Because God came to redeem sinful man. God came to redeem man and restore him back unto himself. When we get to heaven, we're not taking the earth with us. We're not taking the animals with us. The only thing we're taking with us is people. Amen? And so while I believe we should be good stewards, the Bible says a righteous man cares for his animal. And you know what, as righteous people, we should care for the things that God gives us. But you know what, we also need to remember that the most important thing is people. And so they were more worried about the pigs. And they said, leave. So the Lord will never stay where He's not wanted. The Lord is, is, a, is a gracious and a merciful God, and He will never stay where people don't want Him to be. And they said, leave. So He got in the boat and went back to the other side. He came to Capernaum, and when He got to Capernaum, a huge crowd was waiting for Him. And they welcomed Him. Now, I believe that their motives weren't necessarily all right. Some of them probably were. Some were probably just looking for miracles. But as he showed up, it says they welcomed him, and they were all waiting for him. Verse 41, And behold, there came a man named Jeru, and he was a ruler of the synagogue. And he fell down at Jesus' feet and begged him to come to his house. Now, Jeru was one of the rulers of the synagogue. He was responsible for the, administrating the details of the synagogue. He appointed those who would say the prayers. He was the one that held this high position of honor. And this devout Jew and this religious leader found that religion was not enough when it came to his daughter. His daughter, his 12-year-old daughter, is dying. And he's desperate. And in his desperation, he doesn't run and go to his rituals. And he doesn't go and, and keep the ritualistic events in the temple Instead, he runs and he turns to Jesus Christ. Why? Because the only place he was going to find hope was in him. It's interesting to note that in a previous chapter, I believe it's chapter 4, that Jesus had gone in and healed a demoniac in the very synagogue where Jeru was, had oversight. And no doubt he saw it. And no doubt, even though at that time he didn't run to the Lord and grab a hold of them then, when desperation came and when difficulties came, he thought, man, I've got to find Jesus. Because I remember when he was here and that was, there was a demonized man in the temple. I remember he went up and spoke to him and he healed him. And if he can heal that man, he can heal my daughter. And you know what? That happens so often in our lives. You go and you share your faith with somebody and their life is good and they don't want to hear it. 
hey, my life's good, I got money in the bank, and my job's going great, and my marriage is, everything's great, I don't need anything. And you know what? Then when the difficulty comes, the Word of God is going to be brought back to their, to their mind again. And they're going to run to you. I, I remember many people w- where, that I worked with, especially in Southern California, I'd be working with them, and I'd talk to them about the Lord, and they wouldn't want to hear it. And then a difficulty would come, and that same person who would mock me would be over at my cubicle saying, could you pray? Could, could you pray? I thought, you know, I need to find God, and I know that you know Him, so could you pray? And they run to you. And here's what happens. I believe a Jeru, he's, he's in a situation where he'd seen Jesus do a mighty work, and now his precious little girl, who's 12 years old, is about to die, and his heart is breaking for her. It says in Mark's account that he earnestly came after the Lord. And it means there that he came seeking, repeatedly begging Jesus. He begged Him. He cried out to Him. This guy didn't care about his position anymore. He didn't care about his stature anymore. He didn't care about what other people thought about him. He was desperate for God because he was desperate for his little girl. He loved her so much. He didn't care how anybody else thought about him anymore. And you know what? That's where we need to get in our relationship with the Lord. We need to get to the place where we're not worried about what men think anymore, but we're just desperate for Jesus. We're not worried about how we look in the eyes of others, but how our relationship is with Almighty God. And here's what happens with Jairus. He goes and he, he says, man, Lord, he finds him and he says he begs him. He fell down at Jesus' feet and he begged him. He was desperate. And that's where Christ meets us. It says here, for he had an only daughter about 12 years of age and she was dying. But as he went, the multitudes thronged him. So these desperate circumstances, again, are not always a bad thing. Sometimes when people go through difficulties of life, God is using it for His glory. To bring us to the end of ourselves. To get us to stop trusting in our bank account. And stop trusting in our own abilities. And to put our faith in Him and in Him alone. And here Jeru, this man of of great stature, this man of great wealth, his daughter's dying. No doubt he's tried everything. And now he's saying, you know what? There's only one person that I know of that I've ever seen do anything this miraculous. And it's the Lord. I better find Jesus. And he runs to him, and he falls down at his feet, and he worships him, and he begs him to come and heal his little daughter. Desperate situations get men's eyes on God quite often. In the storm, it was a desperate situation, but God ultimately used it for his glory. In the demonized, possessed man, it was a time of desperation. God used it for his glory. And here with Jeru, we're going to see the same thing. Jesus will always respond to those who cry out to Him. God never turns a deaf ear to those who cry out to Him. If you're crying out to the Lord and you're sincere in your heart, He will never turn a deaf ear to you. Never. He longs for you to turn to Him. He desires more than anything in this world that you would come to Him with your heart. He loves you so very much. As much as Jeru loved his daughter, God loves us even more. It says, A great multitude followed Him and thronged Him. Perhaps, perhaps anxious to see Jesus do one of His miracles. But they came alongside Him and they were pressing against Him. And it says there that it implies that the crowd was pressing in him, on Him so hard that He could not even breathe. So as He's traveling to Jeru's home, as He's traveling to go there to see this man's daughter, and as we see in that verse, verse uh, 42, it says she's only 12 years of age. And it says that He's His only daughter. And in the other text, He, he refers to as His baby girl. There's a little girl. And it made me think of my daughter. I won't embarrass her. But my daughter's almost 14, and I still call her baby girl. And if the Lord tarries and she lives to be 30, she will always be my baby girl. And I would do anything for her. I'd step in front of a bus for her. I'll do whatever is necessary. This is Jeru's heart. This is my baby girl. What do I need to do? 
Lord, I'll do anything. He falls down at his feet and begs him, please come and heal my daughter. Now as they're traveling back to go back to his home, because the Lord responds, it says that the crowd is pressing so hard in on the Lord as they want to see miracles, they want to be near to him, that they're pressing in on the Lord that he cannot even breathe. As he's moving, he can't even move. And so as he's moving along in the midst of this crowd, we're going to see the Lord interact with yet another woman. And this is a woman who has been sick for a very long time. And let's take a look, beginning in verse 12, as we contrast the, the, the difference between the, these two women. One who, again, both cases God will reveal His love and His mercy, but one woman who was the daughter of one of the most important and religious men in all of Israel, and another woman who was an outcast, who was anonymous, who couldn't even enter into the temple. And we're going to see the Lord show mercy to both of them. And I love that. So let's take a look at verse 43. It says here, Now the woman, having a flow of blood for twelve years, who had spent all her livelihood on physicians and could not be healed by any, came from behind and touched the border of his garment. Now a flow of blood was, she had internal hemorrhaging, which meant she was ceremonially unclean. She could not enter the temple to worship. Twelve years, it's interesting. Jeru was about to lose a daughter that, he had, that was twelve years of happiness for him. And this woman was coming to the Lord after 12 years of torment over this disease that she had had in her body. It's not by chance that both of them had been dealing with it for 12 years. So Jeru, again, this leading man with prestige and resources, but his wealth could not save his daughter. This woman, it says here in this verse, look what it says. She said, who had spent all her livelihood on physicians. This woman had gone bankrupt trying to find a doctor who could heal her. It's interesting to me, it's been said many, many times, that we spend all of our, our health gaining wealth, and then when we're old, we spend all of our wealth trying to get our health back. You know, we, we, we wear ourselves out, we work 16-hour days, we do everything we can to accumulate stuff, and then later when we lose our health, we want to spend all our stuff to get our health back. And that's what's happened to this poor woman. Here she is, she's taking every dime she has, seeking every doctor she can find, and nobody can heal her. Nobody has the answer. She's desperate. She's at the end of herself. So we see that Jeru is desperate because of the illness of his daughter. And we see that so too is this woman with the issue of blood, desperate. And you know what? That's a great place to be. Desperate for the Lord. That, we need to live in desperation for God. Never reliant upon self, but always desperate for Him. Because the Bible says without Him, we can do absolutely nothing. So these two opposite people are going to meet at the feet of Jesus. Now, it's interesting to me because this reminds me of another story. In John 3 and 4, you see a man by the name of Nicodemus who comes to Jesus by night. He's the most religious man of the day, the Pope of the day, if you will, one of the re religious leaders who comes to the Lord and says, what must I do to be born again? He comes under the covering of night to seek from the Lord. The first episode of Nick at night, right? So Nick, Nick comes at night and he comes to the Lord and he's saying, what what must I do to be born again? What must I do to know God? And this is the most religious man of the day. But then in chapter 4, you see him meet the woman at the well. And she was one of the most ungodly women of the day. She had been married five times. She was now living with the man who was not her husband. She was under such a scourge from the women of town that she went out in the middle of the day to gather water because all the women went out in the morning and she couldn't take all the grief that they gave her. And so it's awesome to me to see that the Lord came to Nicodemus, the most religious man of the day, and said, you must be born again. And he gave the same message to the woman whose life was a disaster. So it doesn't matter if you're the most religious person that ever lived, you need Jesus. 
Or in your mind, if you're the person whose life's been a total disaster, Jesus Christ is still the answer. Amen? He's the missing link to relink man back to God. Whether you've lived what you think is a perfect life, or you've lived a disastrous life, Jesus Christ loves you and He's willing to die for you. So here we have this contrast again. Jeru, religious man of the day, and this woman with the issue of blood, who was a woman who was not even allowed to enter into the temple, whose life was in desperation, who lost everything, was probably living on the street because she'd sold everything that she had to try to find somebody to heal her, and nobody could. Much like many people today, they go to psychologists and counselors and you know, everybody else in the world to try to find the answer and get the hope, but the only hope you're ever going to find is in Jesus Christ. So this woman's position was truly to be pitied. She tried everything the world had to offer to no avail. She remained unclean. She remained separated. She remained in pain. Then she heard about Jesus. Now can you imagine? I don't know how she heard about Him. It doesn't say in the text. She may have heard about His miracles. She may have heard about His compassion. We don't know for sure. But we do know this. The Holy Spirit drew her to Him. And as the Lord was passing by in the throng, let's take a look at what happened. They're pressing in on the Lord, and, and it's just she's, He's going by. And as He's going by, it says in verse 44, she came from behind and touched the border of His garment. This is the one of the most awesome acts of faith. Can you imagine as this crowd is thronging in? Here's this woman whose health is failing, and in the midst of this huge crowd of people that are passing by, she no doubt had to either crawl out to touch the hem of his garment, was crawling maybe on her hands and knees, and reached out as he passed, just, if I could just touch him. It says in, the, in Mark's account and in Matthew's account, if I can just touch him, I know that I'll be healed. All I have to do is touch him, and I know that I'll be made well. All the physicians, she'd given them all their money, spent hours and days and time with them, no healing. But she knew, if I could just touch Jesus, I'll be made well. Just touch Him. Hem of His garment, according to Levitical law, they had tassels on their garment uh, below the hem, and it had, a, it had a, a blue cord in it. It was a remembrance of the commandments that had come from Moses. And when He went by, she reached out and literally just touched the tassel that hung from the hem of Jesus' garment. And look what happened. And immediately, her flow of blood stopped. So what the world had tried to do for 12 years, all the, all the best physicians, everything, the best money could buy, she went bankrupt trying to find the answer. She found nothing. And all she did was by faith reach out and barely touch the hem of Jesus' garment and she was made well. That's the God that we serve. Amen? He's the kind of God. And you know what's awesome about our God? He is not just saying, you, you know, you can come in and touch the hem of my garment. He's saying you can come up and you can sit in my lap. Abba, Father. Amen? You can draw near to Him. The veil's been torn. We can enter into His presence. We can have the intimate and personal relationship with Him. And He so longs to touch us and to care for us. It says that she came humbly from behind. This woman's uncleanness or suffering or isolation or blockade from worship were all removed in one moment as she reached out and touched Jesus. Man, I love that. Just one touch of Jesus takes away all the problems that the world cannot answer. Yesterday at the men's conference, man, it was awesome. I don't know how many guys were there, 2,500, something like that. And I'll tell you, there were several times where I was brought to weeping when they had an altar call and several hundred guys went forward. And these are guys that went forward, many of them for the first time, to give their life to the Lord. And do you know what? They found the answer they've been looking for their entire life. And the answer is Jesus. Amen? You're looking for the answer? What's the meaning of life? i got one word for you. Jesus. That's it. Amen? What's life all about? Jesus. What's up? Jesus. Why are we here? Jesus. He is life. 
He's the meaning of life. And these guys understood, and as they went forward, the Bible says all the angels in heaven rejoice when one person comes to know God. And what an awesome time to think, man, there's a party up in heaven. These guys have found the answer. Their lives have been transformed. They're new creations in Christ. And the Lord wants to do that in every single one of us. Amen? And many of you, He's done it already. And if you're here and He hasn't, He, he still desires to do that. Now, how does the Lord respond? He says in verse 45, Who touched me? Now, that's an odd statement. Now, I want to say this. The sovereign creator of the universe didn't ask this question because he didn't know. Do you think God knew? I mean, Jesus knew who touched him? He's saying, be still and waves are stopping. Do you think he knew who touched him? Of course he did. You know what I believe he's doing here? The Bible says, if you will confess me before men, I will confess you before my Father in heaven. I believe he's giving this woman an opportunity to make a public confession that she is the one that placed her faith in him. She had reached out and she had touched the hem of his garment and he turned around and said, Who touched me? Speaking to the crowd. Which one of you touched me? Now, it seems like a crazy question because they're all pressing in on him. He can barely breathe because they're pressing in on him so hard. But it says in the rest of the text, When all denied it, Peter and those who were with him said, Master, the multitudes throng you and press in on you and you say, Who touched me? And Jesus said, Somebody touched me for I perceived the power going out from me. Jesus knew that the power of a healing touch had gone out from him. And you know what? That happens by his sovereign and his divine will. And it reached out and it touched this woman. And she had been healed. And as we're going to see in just a moment, not only was she healed physically, but she had been heal healed spiritually. And the Lord knew. And he turns around. And the woman knows that she's the one he's looking for. Again, in Matthew 10, it says, Whoever confesses me before men, him I will also, also confess before my Father who is in heaven. Though many were pressing in, only one had touched him by faith. And that's the one he was looking for. Many press in to, to religion. Many press in and go to church and do the rituals. And, you know, it's Easter Sunday, I better go to church. And, you know, it's Christmas or whatever it might be. Or, you know, I've gone to church my whole life. And, well, I'm a Christian because I was born in the United States. It's a Christian nation. I'm supposed to do that. And, and you know, and people go out of, out of habit or whatever it might be. And, and they come, but they're not pressing in in faith. They're pressing in, looking for something else. They're pressing in out of habit. And the Lord, when He turned around, He said, Who touched me? He's talking about who came by faith and reached out and was desperate for me and wanted to know me, wanted my healing touch upon their life. Who was it? And that's the real key, and that's the reason why we should be here this morning. is because we're desperate for God. We want to know Him in an intimate and a personal way. And we're reaching out in desperation for Him to touch our lives. And so it says there in verse 46, but Jesus said, somebody touched me. I perceived the power went out from me. Now when the woman saw that she was not hidden, it says in the other text that Jesus was looking for her, she came trembling and falling down before him. She declared to him in the presence of all the people the reason she had touched him and how she, had, how she was healed immediately. So here's an opportunity to make a public confession. The same woman who probably was in fear because she knew that if she touched Jesus, he would be made ceremonially unclean. From the world's perspective, if you're touched by somebody with an issue of blood, then what happens is that you are now unclean and you cannot worship either. And she came humbly behind him, on her hands and knees, no doubt, reached out amongst the crowd, touched the hem of his garment, and was made well. And now the Lord's turning and looking, and she comes out to him with fear and trembling, overwhelmed by the touch of the Lord. She may have also, again, feared that she had made him unclean, but she openly confessed him before men. Man, I love it. 
She fell before Him and she worshipped Him. When we come to Jesus Christ, that's the way we must come. We must come in humility, falling at His feet and worshipping Him. Jesus Christ is not something we try like the Kiwanis Club. Well, I think I'll try this. I'll join for a while. Let's see how it works out. Right? Some people think that's Christianity. Well, you know, I tried Buddha and I tried, you know, hung some crystals around my neck. That didn't seem to work. And, you know, I rearranged my furniture in my bedroom, did the feng shui thing, and that didn't work. You know, I've tried a bunch. Let's try Jesus for a while. Let's see how that works. That's not coming to Jesus. We need to come to Jesus in a place of humility, falling on our face before Him and saying, Lord, you're God and I need you. Lord, I'm a sinful man. I've been separated from you. I've tried everything else. You're the answer. You're the place where hope comes from. And that's what this woman had done. She had fallen down. She had worshipped Him. She was seeking Him to be the one who would touch her and transform her entire life. Now, how does Jesus respond to her when she openly confesses Him before all the people that were around? And this was no small task. You've got to remember that she was considered ceremonially unclean. People would avoid her. And now she stands up in front of the midst of this entire crowd as they're passing through and says, I was the one. But she does it in fear and trembling, not of the men, not of the people, but of the Lord. She was in awe of Almighty God. Look at verse 48. How does he respond? And he said to her, daughter. I like that. He looked at her and he said to her, daughter. The word there for daughter is the only time you see this in the entire New Testament. You see it here in the other accounts of this this story. And it speaks of one in endearing terms. Like my child. Now isn't it interesting that Jeru's daughter is the one who he out of a broken heart has come to the Lord that she might be touched. And when the Lord has touched this woman who the world looked like at as an outcast, he referred to her in an in a even more endearing term than Jeru had of his own daughter. He said, my daughter. Man, I love that. Do you know that when Jesus touches you, you become his sons and his daughters? That he adopts you into his family, that you're his kids, and as much as you love your children, being imperfect men and women, that God loves you even more than that. Jesus called her daughter, indicating that he now viewed her as one of his kids, and that he had entered into a special relationship with her. Be of good cheer. Your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Now here's the good news. When we've been touched by the Lord, we should, we should go in good cheer. Your faith has made you well. This indicates that the woman's faith in Jesus had also led to her spiritual salvation because that's what he was talking about. He says, go in peace. Do you know we can only know peace when we know the Prince of Peace? Amen? The world does not have... Bill Gates has no peace. Michael Jordan has no peace. You find somebody that you admire, a movie star or whatever, if they don't have Christ, I don't care how much money they have, I don't care how big their house is, I don't care how much fame is heaped upon them by the world, they have no peace if they don't have Jesus Christ. And they're trying to find it by getting something else. If I can just get that next movie role, well, if I can win an Academy Award, well, if I can win the Super Bowl, well, you know, why do athletes leave and keep coming back? Because they find that they're, they're not happy. That Where's the answer? It's in Jesus Christ. That's where the answer is. And this woman had found it, and he says, go in peace. Let's finish up by looking at Jeru's daughter and what happens with her. While he was still speaking, someone came to the ruler, came from the ruler of the synagogue's house, that's Jeru, saying to him, your daughter is dead, do not trouble the teacher. So look at this scene. Here this woman comes up, and her life's been a disaster for 12 years. She's been a incredible torment she's touched the hem of his garment and now she's standing before all the people and she's been made well she's been made whole she's been touched by the lord she's leaving in peace and at the very same moment 
a message comes to Jeru as they're on the way to his house to touch his daughter. Your daughter's dead. And the way that it's, it's spoken of there, it's in the tense that she's dead, it's done, it's too late, there's nothing we can do, it's all over, forget about it. Don't bother the teacher anymore. Let him go somewhere else. Your daughter's dead. It's too late. Now, Jeru could have been, this could have impacted him in two, one of two ways. Because didn't Jesus stop on his way to the house to minister to the woman with the issue of blood? And he could have been very bitter to say, Lord, why, why did you stop? If you'd have just kept going, then you could have been at the house and she wouldn't have died. Or he could have been encouraged to see that the hand of God had touched this woman to know that he could also still touch his daughter. And we're going to see exactly what the Lord does. I love this story. It says there, your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher. But when Jesus heard it, he answered him saying, do not be afraid. Only believe and she will be made well. The death was delivered in, a, in this intense way. And the Lord turned around and said, don't be afraid. Only believe. That is the greatest advice I can give you guys when you're going through difficulties of life. Don't be afraid. Just trust God. Amen? Remember that fear, anxiety, and worry are all the opposite of faith. God is in control. Whatever you're going through right now, God knew before the foundation of the world that you'd be going through it. And you're not going through it alone. God is with you. Jeru had risked the scorn of all the other religious leaders when he came to Jesus. He had chosen. Now he'd have to choose between the word of his friend and the word of the Lord. His friend had just come and said, it's too late. Your daughter's dead. Forget about it. And the Lord said, "Don't worry. trust him. Trust me. Don't be afraid. Just believe. Now he had two sets of words to choose from. Your daughter's dead. It's too late. Tell the teacher to go home. Trust me. Have faith. Only believe. You know what? Same thing happens in our lives all the time. We have the world telling us and giving us counsel all day long. Oh, it's too late. Oh, it'll never happen. Oh, man, it's a disaster. Oh, your marriage, forget it. Oh, your children. Oh, your, your work environment, your health. The doctor may be telling you it's too late. But here's the Lord over here. And you know what? Give me God's Word over man's Word all day long. Amen? It doesn't matter how many men agree. Me plus God is the majority. Amen? If God's on my side, it doesn't matter how many, else, how many other people are against me. So Jair has a choice to make. He can continue on with the Lord and bring Him to His house, or he can just say, you know what, it's too late, forget it. I give up. Praise the Lord that while we may give up on Him at times, He never gives up on us. We face that same dilemma. Trust in the words of men, friends, co-workers, unsafe family, or trust in the Lord. The Bible says that faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. That's what faith is. Faith is believing what we have not seen yet. And he's saying, have faith. Verse 51, we're almost done. When he came into the house, he permitted no one to go in except Peter, James, and John, and the father and the mother of the girl. It's interesting to know that the people that were there are going to be mocking and the Lord will not bring those who mock in to see Him do a miraculous work. The people of no faith, He sent away. The people that didn't believe, He sent away. But those who trusted Him, He drew in closer to Him. Hey Pete, James, John, let's go guys. Sons of thunder, right? Hey Peter, come on. Now it's interesting to me, these guys are the inner circle. They're on the Mount of Transfiguration when the Lord reveals His glory unto man. These guys were there in the Garden of Gethsemane. 
We're still going to see them blow it, but after Pentecost, when they're filled with the Spirit, God's going to use these guys in a mighty and a powerful way. But He draws them in, and again, they're going to see God do an awesome and a wonderful miracle. Look what happens, though, with the people. Now all, verse 52, Now all wept and mourned for her, but, said, but He said, Do not weep, she is not dead, but sleeping. And they ridiculed Him, knowing that she was dead. Now the Lord, the word sleep there doesn't mean that she was sleeping. It's metaphorical for death. And we, Jesus said the same thing about Lazarus, who had been dead for four days. But the Lord knew that she was not going to stay dead. She's dead now, but she's not going to be dead for much longer. And in those days, what would happen when somebody would die? Along with the family mourning, they had these, had this thing known as, these things known as professional mourners. A poor person would have somebody come in, they'd play a flute, and they'd have you know, a few people mourning. But if you had money, you have a whole lot of mourners. Now, we know Jairus' family is fairly wealthy. So as he walked in, there's this huge bunch of people who have been paid off, and they're just crying out and mourning over the death of this girl. And in walks Jesus. He's the answer. But the mourners missed him. Why? Because they were consumed, oh man, she's dead, it's too late. You know what, not only that, it might be getting in on the... If you raise her from the dead, are we still going to get paid? Or What's happening here? I mean, I came over here to mourn. I was supposed to get some money for mourning. And if she's alive, what am I going to mourn about, right? I'm not sure if that's... The, but the reality is, they didn't believe. And they ridiculed and said, man, she's dead. We've been here for... You know, she's dead. It's too late. And I love the fact that it's never too late when it comes to Jesus. Amen? God can do awesome and wonderful things. Sometimes we look at people, man, I've been praying for that guy for 40 years. It's too late. No, it's not. God can still do a work. God's still faithful. He's still in control. They ridiculed Him. Basically, it means they laughed repeatedly to the point of scorn. And the unbeliever will laugh at the Word of God. You ever shared the Bible with somebody, have them laugh at you? Oh, stop it. Oh, yeah, right. I've shared the Bible with people and I've had them mock it before. But you know what? That's what unbelief does. And these unbelievers were mocking the Word of God because He had just said, she is sleeping, but they ridiculed Him. Verse 54, but he put them all outside. Again, he takes those who, who are doubting, those who scorn him, those who don't trust him, and he put them outside. And then it says there, he took the little girl by the hand and said, little girl, arise. We've talked about this many, many times. If he had just said, arise, every dead person on the planet would have got up. Why? Because Jesus has triumphed over sin and death. Remember he said, Lazarus, come forth, right? And Lazarus came hopping out of the grave, right, with the grave clothes on, right? Everybody's like, whoa. If he just said, come forth, every dead person would have got up out of the ground. Every single one. And so he says, little girl, arise. And so what happens, can you imagine being the mom and the dad? Here it is Mother's Day. Can you imagine being the mom and you've been there mourning over your daughter and you're just crying out and it's a, it's a mourning that cannot even be comforted. And you're crying out and your heart is broken and you're touch, your, hand, your face is down and you're just, oh Lord. And you're crying out, man, and you're just weeping. And then comes the Lord and He touches her as this little girl arises and she sits up. Could there be anything greater than that? And the answer is, there's only one thing greater than that. And that's when each one of us was dead in our trespasses and sins. And we were separated from God. And we were headed to a place of destruction. And the Lord, because we cried out to Him in faith, reached out and touched us. And He said, Dave, arise. You're no longer dead in your trespasses and sins, but now you're alive in me. And not only are you alive in me now, but you're my son. And I'm adopting you into my family. And you know what? I'm going to give you a down payment on heaven because I'm going to put my Holy Spirit inside of you. And I'm never going to leave you and I'm never going to forsake you. And I'm going to walk with you. And I'm going to write your, names in your name in the Lamb's book of life. And I'm going to intercede on your behalf the rest of the time that you're on this planet. And I'm preparing a place for you in heaven. And when you get there, I'll be the first one to greet you. Nothing's more awesome than that. Amen? 
That we were once dead and now we're alive in Him. What an awesome thing that He reaches out and it only can come through the touch of God. It's not us doing good works. It's not us trying to be good enough to earn God's favor. He said, Arise. He touched her and she came forth. Man, I love it. Jesus spoke the Word and she immediately got up. Then it says, Her spirit returned. She arose immediately and He commanded still that she be given something to eat. I think it's interesting that when the Lord touched her, she arose immediately. When God touches you, you're born again immediately. Amen? Salvation is not a process. It's not a 12-step program. It's not, you know, take this step and that step and, that, and keep these 47 rituals and in the end, maybe you'll be saved. The Bible says if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, you will be saved to the glory of the Father, period. No, there's no other steps. There's no other... You're saved. You're born again when you confess Him as Savior. And I love that He said, give the girl something to eat. It shows our Lord's compassion even in the midst of things like this. And her parents were astonished, but he charged them to tell no one what had happened. Why? Because he didn't want the people who were coming to him only for the miraculous. He didn't want people coming to him only he wanted the physical healing. He wanted the people to come to him who came to him by faith, wanting a supernatural touch from God. So the worship team will come back up. Here what we've seen. We've seen that Jesus Christ truly is all-powerful. He's powerful over creation. We saw Him calm the storm. He's powerful over the demonic as He just spoke the Word and the demons were cast out. He has power over sickness. As the woman came to Him by faith and just touched the hem of His garment and her sickness went away. And He has power over death. And you know what? He's triumphed over sin and death for us today as well. And you know what? He has triumphed over every trial you're going through right now. No matter what's going on in life, I want you to know that if you know God, you're not alone. He loves you. He's by your side. He's going through the fire with you. And just like with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace, it's better to be in the fire with Jesus than out of the fire without Him. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do love You and we praise You, Lord, for Your example that You are a gracious and a merciful God and that You are in control and that You love us so very much. And Lord, just by Your healing touch, You can transform lives. Father, we just prayed this morning. If there's anybody here that doesn't know You, that, Lord, their eyes would be open to their need for You and their life would be transformed. And Father, I also pray if there are those here that know you but are going through difficulties of life right now, that they would know, Lord, that you're with them, that they're not alone in the midst of this difficulty and trial. So Lord, we love you, we praise you, we worship you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Let's stand and close in worship song.